Вот бада в гости еда наши. Welcome to Bread and Salt, a radio show about my Russian grandmother and my quest to find out about her life and the world that she came from. I am your host, Maria Schumann. I'm a singer, a folklorist, and a farmer from beautiful Greensboro, Vermont. And uh, in the last episodes, I introduced my grandmother, Maria Ivanovna Degereva Scott, also known as Masha or Babushka, to her grandchildren. She was born just six years before the Russian Revolution in a small village. Her parents were peasants, and she grew up working long days in the fields. And later, she met my grandfather, an American journalist in the city of Magnitogorsk in the Soviet Union, and together they moved to New York City in the early 1940s, 1941 or 42. So in the last episode, I read from her journal in the 1940s after she had just moved to the U.S. And she was my mother and my aunt were small children. My grandfather was often gone. He was working as a war correspondent in Europe. And my grandmother was writing about, um, she was giving lectures about her childhood in Russia um, to raise money for Russian war relief. And she was writing about the kids and her life and feminism. And she was writing a lot about her boyfriend. So this episode is going to be all about him. Let's 
So I spent the day today working on my grandmother's, my podcast, my radio show about my grandma. I decided to go look, you know, I've only done cursory looks through her box of papers. And after reading all the stuff about her boyfriend, I just really wanted to see if there was another photo of him or if there was a photo of him in there. And I've Googled him before, you know, recently, even today I Googled him. I couldn't find anything because I read his name as Jan Adam Jan. And I found an envelope and it's from him to her. And inside of it is this beautiful photo of them together and it it makes me cry like she looks so happy and he looks so happy they just look like they love each other and and then I looked at the envelope and his name isn't Jan which is how I had read it but Lan L-A-N A-D O-M-I-A-N. And I Googled him again, and he's right there. He was a composer. And there's photos of him. And there's like a Wikipedia thing about him. And it's like he is suddenly a real person. And he was an old man. He lived to be an old man, too. Anyway, I'm just feeling very very moved by the photo and thinking about him and he's Jewish I don't know if he's like Armenian Jewish his name sounds so Armenian to me but um anyway here we go here's his Wikipedia thing what does it say hold on it says Lan Adomian He was born on August 29th in 1905 uh, in Russia. He arrived in the US November 1923. Russian American Jewish father Israel Weinroth mother Bella Weinroth Oh, so he changed his name. No prior military service. Completed secondary school in Russia and music conservatory in the U.S. Musical composer, director of New Singers on Columbia Broadcasting System. CP, March 9th. Traveled to Spain on a Spanish passport under the name of Juan Garcia Rodriguez. His... Uh, he arrived in Spain. Let's see. He had siblings. Leonardo Weinroth. Isaac Weinroth. I don't know. This is from the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. I don't know if there's anything else about him. Oh, here we go. Lan Adomian, the son of a Jewish cantor, studied classical music before volunteering to serve in the Spanish War while recuperating from injuries, he composed a cycle of songs to accompany the words of the Spanish poet Miguel Hernandez. After returning from Spain, he wrote several symphonic works that dealt with Spanish themes. During the anti-communist crusade of the 1950s, Adomian chose self-exile in Mexico, where he continued his musical composition. Many of his works addressed Jewish themes, including the ballad, of Terezin, a cantata that was inspired by the poem The Butterfly, written by a child victim of the Nazis. He also wrote The Forest of Martyrs, dedicated to the Jewish people killed in the Holocaust. Israel, an orchestral, no, orchestral piece first performed by the St. Louis Symphony, and Kodesh Kodoshim, a cantata with a Hebrew text. Wow. Communist Party, date of death, 1979.
And that was Las Puertas de Madrid, sung by Anna Vega. Composition by Lan Adamian. So that was me just a month ago. And it seems like a really long time ago because since then I have been pretty much living and breathing Lan Adomian every day, reading everything that I can find out about his work, his friends, and his incredible life. My husband keeps asking me, why are you so obsessed with Lan Adomian? I thought you were doing a show about your grandmother. And I reply, because Lan Adomian is just incredibly cool. And my grandmother was not cool, at least not in my mind. And yet somehow their worlds intersected for a moment, for a couple years. So maybe my grandmother was also cool and I just didn't realize it. But Lana Damian, he was Jewish, he was communist, he was a composer. And the grandmother that I knew had a giant photo of Ronald Reagan on her wall and read the Bible all day long, pretty much, and thought all Jews and all communists were going to hell. Well, maybe she didn't really believe that, but she would say stuff like that all the time. So today's episode is going to be all about Lan. I didn't want to talk about politics in this show, but politics, as they are wont to do, barged in uninvited. So here I am talking about communism and communists. I tend to forget that for many, if not most Americans, the word communism is pretty much interchangeable with the word fascism. And it brings to mind a gray, cold, drab, hard world surrounded by barbed wire fences, populated with frumpy, poorly dressed grandmothers waiting in long lines and stony-faced bureaucrats and cruel secret police. And while this image might well be based on a truth, it's not the truth that, it's not the way that my family sees communism. So in my family, communism has a radically different and hopeful meaning. In my family, communism is associated first with my great-grandfather, Scott Nearing. So Scott Nearing and his second wife, Helen Nearing, uh, were famous homesteaders. They wrote the book, Living the Good Life, um, which inspired so many Back to the Landers of the 60s and 70s. It's probably on one of your bookshelves or your <laughs> grandparents' bookshelves. Um, and Scott was my great-grandfather. He was my grandmother, Maria Ivanovna Dikadeva, Scott's father-in-law. And he's going to show up more in a future episode. But for now, I just wanted to say that before he was a homesteader, he was a communist. And he was writing books and giving lectures and working, um, speaking against imperialism, against war, against injustice, against racism, against sexism, and for equality, peace, and justice. And he was a communist. So that's how I think of communism. And in my family also, uh, my grandmother, of course, uh, was, her, her life and her whole family's lives were transformed in a very hopeful way by communism. 
she was the grandchild of serfs, um, and her parents were illiterate peasants. And yet she and all of her brothers and sisters were able to not just go to high school and learn to read and write, but to go to college and get graduate degrees and become engineers. And their children were not working 12-hour days in the fields when they were eight years old, like my grandmother was. And they had free health care and all that education was free. And that's what communism meant in my family. And it also was my great-grandmother, uh, my prababushka, turning to my great-grandfather who, you know, had beaten her throughout their marriage. And after the revolution, she turned to him and she said, if you ever touch me again, I'm going to divorce you. And she knew she had the backing of the state behind her. And the abuse stopped that day. So for them, it was like the revolution was transformative and, and they believed in it completely. And my grandmother believed in it, at least in those early days in the 1940s. Okay, onward. Praise of learning. Learn the simplest things. Don't be discouraged. Begin. You must know everything. You must be ready to take power. Okay, back to Lan Adomian, also a communist, and a communist in the hopeful, radical sense of the word. Lan Adomian was born John Jacob Weinroth in either... <laughs> There's a little bit of um, different versions out there. In one version, he's born in Mogilev Podolsk, which is now in Ukraine on the Moldovan border. In another version, and it's a city, in another version, he's born in a tiny village of Mogilev, Belarus. And I don't know which one is true. Um, I'm hoping to, at some point get information about little details like that. But he, in any case, he arrived in the U.S. in 1923 when he was just 17 years old. And I don't know, but I assume that he, like so many others, was fleeing the violence of the Russian Civil War and in particular the violence against Jews. Uh, because at this time, it's estimated that 
50 to 200,000 Jews were killed in pogroms. And the vast majority of the violence was perpetuated by the anti-Bolsheviks and Ukrainian nationalist forces. And then he moved to New York City in 1928. And there he became, part of a movement of radical communist composers, artists, and activists. And as I've been like just following all these threads and kind of like anybody he's associated with, I've been reading about them and trying to figure out what they were doing and what this world was like. And this picture emerges of just like it's very exciting and and hopeful and radical and kind of wild some of the stuff that's going on and he was just part of so many interesting projects and collaborations some of them some of the names associated with him are very well known and other ones are people I've never heard of before but I feel like I should have heard of them from some of the crazy amazing things that they did I don't know what radicalized him, but I think by the late 20s, when he moved to New York City, he was a communist. And he one of the things he was involved with in the early days um, in New York was Artef, which was the communist Yiddish theater group that was based in New York City. And it went from like the late 20s, I think, to the early 1940s. So this theater group was... They were an agitprop theater group. Their purpose was to agitate, to propagandize, and to, you know, to try to radicalize workers, but also to represent radical workers. Um, And they sold their tickets through worker unions, and they did all their shows in Yiddish. Uh, Their first large-scale production was a class play and ballet of the Russian Revolution, um, which they did in Madison Square Garden on January 1st, 1928. This was a memorial for Lenin. And Lan Adam Yan worked, uh, he directed, he was the musical director for a show called Jim Cooper Cop um, in 1930. This was written by Shmuel Godiner, and, uh, who I believe was Russian or Belarusian Jewish. And it was first produced in at the Belarusian State Jewish Theater in Minsk in 1929. And then I think this was the the American premiere. Um, I don't know much about the show other than it was a futuristic drama. And it starred the main character was a robot. So I wish I knew more about it. I'll try to find out. But the music in this show, a lot of it is is from him because Lana Domian was a composer. And then some of the music are just uh, songs from his time, from the people he was hanging out with or um, from what I imagine. So here is a, a Yiddish song from pre-revolutionary Russia. I like to think that maybe this is a song that Lon and his friends were singing. Here's the English translation. Everywhere you go on every street, you hear rumblings. Men, women, and children are talking about strikes. Brothers, enough of your drudgery. Enough of borrowing and lending. We're going on strike. Brothers, let us free ourselves. Brothers and sisters, let us join hands. Let's break down little Tsar Nikolai's walls. Hey, hey, down with the police. Down with the Russian ruling class. Hey, hey, 
Another thing Lana Damian did in 1930 was he was the musical director at Nietgedeiget Camp. And Edith Sieg- Segal, or Siegel, I'm not sure, it must be Segal, she was the dance director. Now, Nietgedeiget Camp, I had never heard of this, but it was Nietgedeiget means no worries in Yiddish. And it was a communist camp for workers and for activists. It was considered to be the first proletarian cooperative adult vacation resort in the United States. It had room to sleep, I think, a thousand people, and it had 250 acres of land. It was founded in 1922. And... Excuse me. So there's uh, great like descriptions of it that the the campers would be walking around, just arguing and reading and lecturing about Marx, Lenin, Engels, Trotsky, and they would sing communist songs as they walk to and from activities. Um, there's one great uh, photo, old photo that I saw where there's a bunch of people in a swimming pool, and the description says they're all singing the Third International. The famous communist song, Arise, You Prisoners of Starvation. The interior door frames, um, sorry, they were probably singing it in Yiddish, though, not in English. But that version that you just heard, or the tidbit of it, that's conducted by Lana Damian. He might be singing in there. The interior door frames were decorated with hammers and sickles, and the bungalows all bore the names of Soviet republics. And here's a beautiful song that they used to sing. This was a theme song at Camp Nitgedaget. In our Camp Nitgedaget, we are all family and comrades. Work and struggle has united us. Worry and need has made us friends. We come here from the city and factories. Hey, comrades, we sing this song, and here's the song. No worries, no worries, no worries. Neat gedeiget, neat gedeiget, neat gedeiget. Um, but it wasn't all fun and games there. Uh, they were also threatened by the Ku Klux Klan in 1927. They got a letter from the KKK that said, we demand you withdraw from this territory or else we'll take severe measures against you. And you know the methods and tactics that we apply. We close with despise and hatred to you. I don't know what happened with that, but I do know that the Camp Nitgedaget continued on for at least another 10 years. So hopefully nothing really happened with the KKK. That was just a, an empty threat. I had mentioned Edith Segal before, so she was the dance director at the camp, and a year later, Lan Adamian did another collaboration with her. He wrote a ballet, and he was the musical director, and she was the choreographer. It was called Luftmenschen, which is a Yiddish word meaning someone with their head in the air, someone who is impractical, wholly impractical, not focused on economic problems or money. I don't really know much more about it other than that there, it was revived in 1986 in East Germany by Leonard Lerman and they performed it uh, in Dresden. I want to say a little bit more about Edith Segal because she's an interesting character. So she was a Jewish communist choreographer and dancer, and she started a group called the Red Dancers in the 1920s. 
and their slogan was dance as a weapon, a weapon of revolutionary class struggle. So she choreographed lots of dances and including for that, that RTEF uh, Lenin Memorial, she was the choreographer for that. Um, and she made, uh, there, were, there were a thousand actors in that show. It was at Madison Square Garden and there were 20,000 spectators and 200 singers. And she made the actors and dancers into a dance formation where they formed a giant hammer and sickle. And she also was organizing children's dance groups where she was teaching class consciousness and dance together. I love that. And she would perform at union meetings and, and other working class places. Um, and she saw the female body as an instrument of force and transformative revolutionary power, not as a sex symbol or like graceful beauty of classic ballet. So, and another cool fact about her is that she went on to either found or work in um, a camp called Kinder, Kinder Camp. I think that's the name of it. Anyway, there's a film about it called Kami Camp. So to this day, this camp, this tradition of Jewish leftist camps continues. Now it's for kids. But uh, Katie Halper, who is a podcaster who I love, she does stuff about politics. She went to this camp and she made a film about it called Comic Camp. So I love that the tradition of the Nietzsche camp still is alive. In 1932, Lan Adamian was part of a group called the Composers Collective. Now, this was started as part of the kind of an offshoot of the Pierre de Gattier Club. Pierre de Gattier was the composer of the famous song, the Internationale. Here it goes again, sung by the new singers. Um, And a bunch of people from that group started a composer's collective with the kind of goal of trying to create a substantial body of people's music that would appeal to the working classes. Again, that, that idea of like the music is going to revolutionize people, but they also wanted it to be revolutionary music. And there was this was a tension because... Sometimes working classes did not appreciate this really avant-garde music. And so some of the people were more focused on doing kind of folky things and others were more into doing really wild avant-garde music. Some of the people who were involved in this, I'm going to list their names, although, you know, I really didn't know who most of these guys were. So, uh, but I'll list them anyway. Mark Blitzstein. Listen, here's a story Not much fun and not much glory Low class, low down um, Herbert Haufrecht Henry Cowell Robinson. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. 
I never died, says he. George Anfell. Ruth Crawford Seeger. Copeland, Charles Seeger, Jacob Schaefer. And they were very inspired by Eisler and Brecht. Oh, Eli Siegmeister also was involved with this. just take a moment I can't go into every single person's biography who had this association with Lana Domian but a couple really stood out for me Jacob Schaefer was a Russian Jewish composer conductor and communist who founded the Freiheit Gesangforen um, which is now known as the Yiddish Philharmonic Chorus and his last work was a oh, called A Bunt mit e Stachke, pardon my pronunciation, translated to mean A Revolt and a Strike, which was a Yiddish revolutionary folk operetta performed for the first time posthumously in 1937. So um, that song was a song from that opera, and it the word of the song in the white land Sibir, in the distant land of Siberia, where the sky is always covered by clouds, I was banished for one word, freedom. And one of them was Henry Cowell, who um, was a composer at the same time as Lana Domian, and they were in several groups together. I maybe had heard of him but I'm not even sure if, I guess I had, but I I never had listened to his music before. Anyway, he was, he was an American composer. He was mostly self-taught and he was really into blending folk melodies and counterpoint and, and doing things in a real unconventional way. And he was into paganism, Irish paganism. His mother was an anarchist feminist and he grew up in uh, Chinatown in San Francisco and he was gay and he defied gender stereotypes even as a child he often had long hair and would wear women's clothing and loved the color pink um, and he when he toured in North America and Europe as a pianist he played a lot of his own experimental works and um, I guess they were pretty wild. Like he would play things with his elbows on piano and his whole arms or his, his, his wrists. He would play the inside of the piano. And he was into this like atonality a and, and different rhythms. And, you know, it was really interesting stuff. But uh, people would get very upset at some of his concerts. And in Germany in 1923 at a concert gasps and screams were heard and the audience started yelling and stamping and clapping and hissing this is from his recollection he could hardly hear himself and then they got near to him and some of them threatened him with physical violence but the people who liked the music restrained them um and he was he was imprisoned 
in, what year was that? 1936, I think, for being gay. And he was sentenced to 15 years in San Quentin for being gay. And he ended up just serving four years. And apparently he led all these kinds of prison singing groups when he was there, but came out really broken. And and his music changed. His musical style changed and became much more conventional after he was in prison for these years. So for a couple of years, my grandmother's life was intertwined with Lan Adomians. They spent a lot of time together. And I imagine that she was at parties and at dinners or film openings or various events with some of these people that I have been talking about who were Lan Adamyan's cohorts and friends. When I think of them together, I think like, what, what was the draw? Of course, I can't know. I wasn't there. And I know my grandma was beautiful. So for sure that was part of it. Maybe a huge part of it. But I think also that she was like a genuine proletariat. And I know, I know there were genuine proletariats among them, but there was that one piece from her journal that I read last time where um, she was so upset because <clears throat> Lan and his radical friends were all kind of theorizing about things. And she was like, you're just talking all the time and you don't think I can understand and I'm the one who like, is the real proletariat, you know, who grew up in this really hard way and just, like, worked, worked so hard to make the revolution happen. So, I don't know. Maybe that was part of the appeal. And I, of course, (laughs) like to think of the kind of romantic notion that when thinking about the mystery or the big questions of my grandmother's life, like why, how did she get to be as kind of like mean and hard and and angry as she was? So one answer that I have come up with in reading all this stuff was like, maybe because she left her true love Lan Adomian, and maybe if they had stayed together, you know, she wouldn't be that bitter and angry. But I rejected that idea very quickly because I feel that my grandmother's anger 
is much deeper and older than this love affair. But still, I can't help but go down this path and imagine that instead of breaking up with him, they stayed together and she stayed a leftist, like he stayed a leftist his whole life. And they fled to Mexico together. And my mother grew up in Mexico. <laughs> but um, this, this also falls apart pretty fast because my grandmother was not good at languages and she would not have been happy having to learn another language and who knows, you know, my grandfather might have like sued for custody and he would have gotten it because she was an unfaithful wife. And anyway, if it had happened, I never would have been born because my mom wouldn't have gone to Germany and learned German. So that's that story. So I leave you with a love letter from Lon to my grandmother that we found in her papers. And it's typewritten in Russian on a music sheet that looks like it has a little diddle like on it, little doodles, like he maybe started writing something. And I had my friend help me translate it. 1946. Dear Mashenka, Today you were, as always, beautiful. And yet today you seemed even better than ever. Maybe this could be explained by the fact that yesterday it was two years since the day we met. And it was written on Valentine's Day. Isn't that funny? Um, or maybe because we had such a huge fight. I don't know. The reasons are not important. John, that's my grandfather, will be here very soon. And then you will all go to Europe. And for the rest of my life, as long as I live, I will remember you, your love, all the riches of your soul, and body that we discovered together. My dear one, you don't have to worry about me. I know for a fact that even though you are not in love with me, my fate is of an interest to you. After you, I don't need anyone. I don't want anyone. At my age, People already start to pack away their fishing rods. <laughs> um, I think, you know, he's talking about fishing for love. Where should I now try to find anyone again? I don't want it and I don't need it. I will have to be satisfied by the memory of our love. Now that I know that he had two wives after that, I'm laughing at just a little bit as his romanticism. I remem remember what you said to me once. How many people in the world would give up everything to live just one day the way that you and I did together? I will see you again. So here, please accept gratitude from this seeker of beauty who found beauty in full measure two years ago when he tried some herring with you. <laughs> That's how it ends. That must be how they met, by eating herring together. As always, I kiss you hard. Your Yannick. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bread and Salt. I'm going to leave it here. And uh, this is really part one. I have a lot more about Lan Adelmian. At least one more episode. Probably three or four. So much there. Um, 
I was unrealistic to think I could do this once a week, but I will keep trying and um, try to do better in the future. The opening song, as always, is uh, Castroma's singing um, Welcome Dear Guests. And till next time. <laughs>